Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to Sally Gardner a hugely successful author. Uh, Sold over 2 million books, been translated into 22 languages. She's a multi-award winner. You can hear all about why she's an extremely visual writer, where that comes from, how the picture helps her figure out if, in the end, her story's any good. Uh, Now, she talks about her new book. It's her third adult novel. It's The Snow Song. And we also chat about why she's so drawn to stories and why she always has been. You know, we are story-hungry animals. You think about it, we get out of bed in the morning, and what do we ask for straight away? What's the story, Morning Glory? What is the story? Uh, We meet someone, we we want a story, we want to know, where have you been? What have you done? What happened? And we, I think that's what sets us apart from the animal world, in in, in one way, I mean, there are many things, but that majorly sets us apart, is this absolute obsession with story. Um, We live story, we long for it, and I think it's um, I think it's absolutely fundamental to us. I think it sort of is up there with the sort of major elements that make us human. It's all on the way with Sally Gardner in this week's Writer's Routine. Right, hello, welcome along to the show. Uh, it's Writer's Routine, where we chat to an author about the inside out of their working day. Uh, my name is Dan Simpson. Thank you for giving us a listen. Not just that, but I felt a lot of love uh, over the last week online. So thank you for that. I've had some fantastic retweets from some huge authors. Uh, I really appreciate that, uh, by the way, if you're listening. Uh, and if you found us recently, uh, thank you for stopping by. Yeah, if you've only just discovered us, we're 130 through now. So you've got some incredible episodes packed full of tips that you can catch up on. Now, this week's episode uh, is sponsored by The Last Human, which is the new book by Robin Fole. Uh, It's a sci-fi adventure mixed with a coming-of-age story. There's an action thriller in there as well. Uh, It's one of those books that is great for young readers and adults too, because it's all about the qualities that make us human. Uh, It's about Alice, who wakes up one day and finds the world that she is in completely different to what she remembers, that instead of humans being around... Instead, it's inhabited by robots and living, talking, thinking, anthropomorphic animals. Now, in the book, you follow Alice's quest as she takes on the journeys and adventures in this new world, as she discovered that she is the last human. 
Now, as I said with the genres, it's not just the adventure that draws you in this story. It's the pictures painted of all the creatures that she meets as well. They're, they're beautiful, they're stunning, they're magical too. You discover them as Alice does. Now, the first page of this book, like a really good first page, uh, really kind of made me fall in love with it. Listen to this. Uh, it's just a very quick extract from that first page. Um, first, there's darkness, then a blinding white light. Waking up is a horrific experience for the girl, who is at once bombarded by a hundred different sensations. The touch of cold plastic on her bare skin, the sudden intake of air, blinding lights, strange smells, the feeling of everything weighing down on her. Makes you want to hear more, doesn't it? It's a fantastic first page. The whole story's brilliant. Uh, It's fast-paced, it's complex, it's realistic, it's completely unpredictable. It's a brilliant tale. It's a debut, actually, by Robin, who self-published it. Uh, So do me a favour, look up The Last Human by Robin Fole. Join Alice on her journey in a world that is completely different to what she left behind. Uh, And taking a chance on this won't set you back much. It's only £2.99. It's less than £3. It's a brilliant chance to read something completely original and utterly unique. And you'll be supporting the writing community as well, which we're all about on the show. Uh, I will drop a link in the podcast notes and over at writersroutine.com. It's called The Last Human. It's by Robin Fole. And it's well worth a read. Now, this week, uh, we're chatting to Sally Gardner on the show, who is phenomenally successful. Uh, Sold two million books, translated into 22 languages, spoken about that. She's won the Costa Kids Book Award, the Carnegie Medal as well. She's well known for kids' books, why she won the awards. Um, uh, But this is her third adult novel. Now, we talk about who she decides to write for and how she doesn't really know where that comes from, but she does know that you can tailor an idea for any audience, really. Now, the new book is The Snow Song. It's all about Edith, uh, who lives with an alcoholic father who is forcing her to marry a butcher. She loves a shepherd. It's fantastical and magical. You can hear that. Uh, She loses her power of speech as the village becomes isolated in a sea of snow. Now, the idea was actually given to her by an editor, And we talk about what that's like, being kind of really told what to write about, but then it's up to you to go and figure out how to do it. You can hear a thorough examination of her day. It's a proper good routine, this one. It also includes some news of the damp in her home. Worth sticking around for that. And also, she's firmly anti-post-it note. I mean, who knew that you could have such an opinion about sticky paper? Uh, But Sally Gardner does. Uh, It's a brilliant chat, I promise, a really nattery one. Uh, We start off, as always, with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Okay, so I used to write in my attic, which I didn't like because it had a very steep staircase. And when someone knocked on the front door, I'd nearly kill myself to get to the the bottom. And I thought, you know, this is bound to happen one day. I'll sort of go diddling all the way down so I moved into the spare bedroom which I really rather like so the view from my window is a brick wall with plants on it and um then over my I have it's taken me ages to get my work thing right this lockdown was like a big work how you know work crisis thing so I have um a desk that I can move up and down so I can stand if I want to because I've got such a bad back and above that is a really beautiful picture that I've just bought and I really love of Birmingham's bus station um, done in the 1920s, which I, I just adore it. I don't know why. It cheers me up every time I look at it. And then I've got lots of lovely um, cloth hanging, wall hangings that I've got from my travels to 
uh, the Far East and uh, Mexico. I've got an amazing one with sort of bugs and animals on it, bright orange on the wall opposite. And then I have more pictures. I've got a lovely print of Dan Hillier. Um, his work is, I find, very inspirational. And I have a little fireplace, which I'm going to have opened up so I can have a real fire. And I have a little toy theatre, which I light up at night, which makes it look quite lovely. And I have two chairs, because I can't work out which chair is more comfortable. So that's really it. And piles of books, by the way. Sorry, just piles of books everywhere. That's It's fantastically thorough. I've got just a few questions that, that leap off of it. Um, and I don't want this first one to come across as in any way snobbish i guess or um but when you say the phrase birmingham bus station it doesn't like like ins, 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 inspiration doesn't leap to mind i would imagine generally for most people when you hear that phrase what is it about it for you that really cheers you up i think i have to tell you it's so it's done in 1924 so it's not it's just a bus station in birmingham near a little park and there's a lady in a red and striped sort of jacket sitting I don't know why she's sitting there I don't know it's a sort of autumnal it could be quite cold and there's a lady with a scarf two ladies talking and a sort of old man looking at this young woman sitting at a bench and it's just it's quite bleak but it's quite um magical at the same time it was in a shop near where I live um for a long period of time and I kept walking past it and every time I walked past it I would just go Oh, I love that picture. And finally, one night, I went and I said to the guy who owned the gallery, I really love that picture. He said, you know, it's going to go. I think it's going. And I went, oh, and I thought, no, I can't let it go. And I bought it. Very naughty. That was great sales patter by the guy. He said to you, this Uh, might go. Oh, will it? Well, I'll have it then. Yeah, please. (laughs) I knew him. And he was, he has, he's a pretty honourable guy. I, I knew it was popular, right? It was just a matter. Of, I kept thinking I'll walk past it and it will be gone. And then just I just didn't want to risk it. I thought if I risked it once more, you know, that kind of thing where you'll go, oh, sugar, I could have had that. And it didn't. So I feel pleased I got it. What, what are you, you, you seem to be surrounded by quite a few pictures. What is inspiring? about? I guess this is a more general, almost philosophical question. Why do you think pictures are inspiring? If you're a, a low ebb with writing, why does looking at something that takes you away, what, why does that help you out, do you think? Well, I, I, I'm very visual. I'm, I'm in a, a very, I'm a visual thinker. So if I can't see it, I can't write it. And by that, I mean, I don't actually have to be there. But if I can't see it in my mind's eye, I can't write it. And I always know when my writing is bad is when I go back there and I think, where is this? Where is this place? I don't know. And then I think, oh, no, you haven't got it. You haven't got it right. And I'll go back and rewrite again until I really can say, I know where I am now. Yeah, I know where I am. And I, I, I think it's really important. And I'm always fascinated by how much people don't observe where they are. I remember going to a school to do a talk once and I asked her, the teacher was being rather snotty about dyslexia. I'm very dyslexic. He was being rather sort of... <laughs> and um, I said, well, you know, we, we have quite high visual intelligence. He said, oh, really? <laughs> and I said, what's behind you? He said, what? I said, could you tell me what is behind you? You've been teaching, you tell me, at the school for 15 years. Can you tell me what is behind you? 
do you know he didn't know? And what was behind him was a coffee maker. But it wasn't any old coffee maker. It was green. And it was quite ancient. And it was a kind of coffee maker that made sort of stood out in the room. And you thought to yourself, hey, how could you not realise that? I find that extraordinary. Do you think that connection is almost learned? So if being dyslexic when you were, because it, it was undiagnosed dyslexia when you were young. So when you were learning and when you were reading when you were young and things weren't making too much sense, words weren't making too much sense. Do you think that that's why you're much better at visual things? You, because that's how you took stuff in. That's how you can see this. That's how you can learn. That's how you can remember things. Well, you see, that is interesting because when I was small, I thought everybody had a cinema in their head. And that when you said to someone, the woman walks into the room wearing a pink ball dress um, and there were chandelabras and a big fireplace or whatever and a mirror, I thought, oh, everyone can see that. I can see that. Everyone can see that. And I, it wasn't really until I went to art school and I was studying theatre and I, I have to keep the director out of this because he's quite famous. And um, I remember telling him about the, my idea for a set he said, I'm really sorry, Sally, I can't see this. And I said, oh, my God, it just hit me. You're visually blind. You, you, can't, you can't see it, can you? The revelation that people didn't have a cinema in their head. That's outstanding. I'm, I'm analysing my own thoughts now, trying to think if I do or if I don't. I'm not really sure. I don't know, because, you know, it's very difficult to sort of say this because it sounds... I'm not trying to... It's not one-upmanship. It's a different way of thinking. I have lots of friends who see it in a very different way from me but I think in my world I don't I see totally visually and and so I like things to be look nice and be good and I'm not very tidy but I do like to have lovely things about me or things I'm very fond of. Now listen when you when you were upstairs in your attic and and you you've decided to make the big move down and you're doing this as a as a very successful author who's written many books, they've sold many copies, they've been trans- translated into many languages. So what I mean by that is you can go to this spare room and you can you can own it, you know, you can you can curate it as a writing room. When you were going to do that, what were you insisting upon for yourself that needed to be in there? Well, I'm I'm a workaholic, so this is my world and I want my world to be how I'd like it. Um, and I'm lucky to be in the position that I can get my room to be how I like it. I mean, I would, to be honest with you, it needs a lick of paint. And I moved in here two years ago. There's things it does need. And um, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I've got it exactly how I how I feel happy. I also, because I live near the sea and, you know, I can, if I sort of put my neck out on a limb, I could see the sea from one of the rooms in the house. I just thought, no, 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 no. Looking at the sea, to me, in a way, was a bit like giving your ideas away. You, in a funny kind of way, you want to be faced with yourself, with the blankness of something. And I think that really helps you to think. I mean, I can go for long walks. I can do all that. I can get all the views I want. But actually, when you're faced with writing, it's like, mm, that's it. No, no going out on the looking at the sea view. If I were to walk into your room, would I have any clue what you are writing, the story that you're telling? I ask this specifically of you because you've already described yourself as quite a, a visual thinker. 
would I see many different color-coded post-it notes all over the place with different ideas for planning? No post-it notes. Um, I'm very bad on planning. I, I have to really own up here and say, look, I am very bad at it. I, I have... I, I usually start with an idea. I usually have a, a razor sharp idea of what I'm going to do. And then I'm really a bit like a blind man walking down, you know, with my stick going, duh, 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 duh. oh, I see. Um, and I'm, I'm slightly anti poster notes. I do, th- I'm coming round to the point of view that it is quite useful to know where you're shooting your arrow, which I always do sort of know where I'm shooting my arrow. But you, I, and having a few sort of, key moments you think well I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that but I I want to be surprised by my writing I want to be surprised by a character I want them suddenly to say no to me and I I remember I wrote a book called Double Shadow and it had a boy in it called Tommy Treacle and all he had to do all his role in the whole of this book was to do one thing and he had a mouse called Houdini and he opened his mouth and he said I'm Tommy Treacle and the minute he said that, I went, oh, who the hell? A what? And he just became a major character. He went from, you know, one minor bit role in the Saturday Cinema Club to having a major role because he his language was so great. What he said was so great. And 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 in that book also, I had a character that was going to die. And he was supposed to die in the first sort of two chapters. Chapter, I think it's near 17. He's still hanging around there. But you, you, you can't. I like that. I like being genuinely surprised to find someone having the determination to survive, <laughs> even though you as a writer are thinking, yeah, I'm going to kill you. I've got to, come on, you've got to die. <laughs> are you any closer to understanding why that's the case? So with Tommy Treacle, when he, um, when he says this and this brilliant voice comes out, are you, are you any clearer because you've had such an established career now of understanding maybe he he was meant to be like this the whole time maybe almost the book's been pre-written in your head and you're just there to 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 get it out well i think there is something about i mean lots of writers i'm sure that i've listened to your show and i think it's great and lots of writers i'm sure do talk to you about feeling that things are there that they're i think when writing goes well it's so solid it it's um, I did a book called An Almond for a Parrot and I had a character called Tully Truegood and she just was so well formed and delicious and a delight to write uh, that I felt she'd always sort of been there in a way. Um, I think when character is bad, it's you're sort of playing at it a bit more. It's because they're not quite established enough or they haven't come through deeply enough. Well, it sort of I was thinking about this quite a lot I depends how long I sleep um and sometimes I don't sleep I wake up at sort of today for instance let's go for today I woke up at four so I then spent till about seven reading um looking at the world news playing a silly game until my dog bounced on my head and said get up and then up I got and um I started work today at 8.30 and I've done and I've worked till just before one o'clock um, and now I'm talking to you and I had to stop everything because I've got damp 
in one of the rooms. I've got to try and find someone to do that for me. It's proving a bit of a problem. But then I will go back to working after I finish speaking to you and I will stop, have dinner and I will go back to working and I usually finish about 10. So, I mean, you mentioned earlier that this is it's pretty all-encompassing for you. Is that a standard day in that you no. wake up, you start writing and you'll carry on writing until you go to sleep but just your day is cut up by, you know, interviews, the damp, going for a walk? Well, I've got the dog, obviously, and on Monday, because I've got to get a book sort of in today, I'm doing the edits on it and I'm trying to finish it, um, I have got the dogs out, so I don't have to go out for a walk today, which is means I can do a bit more. But when I do take the dog walking, we I, I think a lot about the story at the same time, so it, it's jolly useful. In fact, when I was in London, I, I lived in Stoke Newington and I used to try and take the dog for a walk in the park and it would end up with a, hi, Sally. Hi. Oh, hi. How are you? Oh, no, hi, I'm you. And I would never be able to get to that wonderful pace, which I think it's sort of like after about a thousand steps or something. You get to that space in your head where you start, the story starts to go da-dum, 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 da-dum. Um, and you never could get there. And the only way I could sort of cheat it was by having one of those cords, I mean, days of old, and looking like you were on your mobile. Because, you know, then you could talk to yourself and people would go, oh, you're on the phone. <laughs> but yeah, I love just being able to go for a straight walk and telling myself my story. I want, I want to try and try and pick some of that apart because uh, it, it seems quite, uh, you know, you kind of just wake up and then you start writing. Is, is, there, any, is there any planning in that? Is there? Oh, yeah. No, there, no, there's not just an. No, I have a set amount of words. I do have a set amount of words that I'd like to do. Um, and I do have an idea of what. I, I'm a very methodical writer when I get cracking. I go from one chapter one all the way through the book. I never jump it. Even though I may have the end, I'll leave it hanging there. I might make a note to myself, but I will never jump it. Because I never know what's going to happen with the character. I never know if that's. Uh, if they're really going to go the way I'm thinking they might go. And as I said, I think, you know, you've got to keep yourself alive and, write, and writing is quite a lot of hard work. And if you've got it all mapped out, I, I can't see any joy in that. I, I don't know where you'd be going. I, you know, I don't know. What is the aim every day? Um, my aim is roughly a thousand, but I will only keep about 200 of them. I don't keep very much. I throw a hell of a lot away. Every day I clean it out. I, I'm always very curious about this because, you know, I'll say it again. Um, you are quite a prolific writer now. You've, you've written quite a lot. You're onto your third adult book now. You've sold loads of them. I'm always, this might sound a bit upfront, but when I chat to writers and they say, I, I overwrite, I know I overwrite, I'm going to cut you know, four fifths, 80% of what I'm about to write. I just don't, I, I don't understand why you, because you know that you don't try and not waste those words. If you understand. Uh, Okay. So I always find it's very odd when people say I write a thousand words. And then if you take it on that level, there's a sort of three months down the line, you should have a book or less, you know, a big book. But it doesn't work like that because you might write a thousand words and you might think, oh, they're really rather good. 
And then when I've, so when I've done a bit of my writing, what like I've, I, I will leave it. If I've done a lot in the morning and I'm really feeling I'm cooking on gas, I will leave it until maybe afternoon where I'll go back to it. And then I'll really see what I've done. And it'll be like, oh, well, okay, that was sort of all right. Do you see what I mean? So you, you're building it up. It, it's a, it's a bit like building a building. You're just putting brick down by brick, really. And you you can't do it too fast. I mean, things have got to dry and cement and get there in the right way. I It's the only way I can do it. I never quite understand when people go, I've done a thousand words. And then you assume by that, then you'll be doing a lot of words. But it doesn't, for me, it doesn't work like that. Are you good at knowing when you have written a good sentence, when you have written a good paragraph? Are you... Are you good at understanding, right, that is going to stay in because that is something brilliant? Or is it quite often a surprise you'll end up chucking away what you thought was golden? Um, I know what I'm after. Does that make sense? I know what I'm looking for in my writing. And um, when I get it, I sort of know I've got it. And I know the days when I haven't. It's sort of like, oh, it's like brown bread and butter and it's not going anywhere except heavy. Um, And then suddenly you will feel... I, 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 the other way I described it to someone, I think it's quite a good way of describing it. I spent a mo- lot of the morning trying to get my wheels of my little plane of imagination off the ground. And then I get up as high as I can get my little plane. And then I jump out. And literally, I write, 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 till bang. And then I stop. And I leave it. And then I'll go back and look at that. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking you know where you turn off your brain you turn off the critic you turn off oh no one will read this what am I doing you turn all that off and you just write but you do need time to go back and look at it with a big gap and then go oh yeah that's okay but that was a little off and that you do you see what I mean I do that's that's a brilliant skill then because if you know that later on in the day you will come back to it as the critic um it's quite a quite an art to be able to turn that part of you off as you are writing. How do you manage that? I think you have to train yourself to do it. I mean, I know writers who can't do that. Like they're crippled by it. They're constantly going, "Oh God, this is awful." I think the minute you, st- you, I think the minute you do that too much, you 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 you're losing something. You're losing. I think you've got to have that freedom from yourself, even if it's just for two hours. <laughs> You've got to have that freedom. You know, the rest of the day you might be going, oh, that was crap. That was terrible. <laughs> but, you know, at that moment, I think you need your freedom. How long did it take you to to learn that freedom? Do you remember the moment where you suddenly began writing unchallenged by the critic? Um, I remember when I first started writing, I wrote a book called I Coriander. And I was sitting on a sofa and I had got... Um, uh, which I called the Barbie Lou seat. It was the first sort of clam by Apple. You know, the Apple little Mac, you know, it was blue and it will come up. And they were the first, they really took Apple into a new line. And I'd never had a computer before. And it, to me, it was like I had met someone who thought like me. I thought, oh, there's no paperclip jumping around. There's no signs. There's just simplicity. I can think. And I was sitting on the sofa, I started writing, and I remember thinking, oh, I need a cup of coffee. And I went and made a cup of coffee, came back and thought, wait a bit, where's that radio channel gone? I had no radio on. It was in my head. But it was literally as if I had a radio on. 
telling me the story. It was the most extraordinary and exciting thing. I remember my heart beating, fluttering, thinking, oh, my word, oh, my word. And finding that I loved this. I loved writing. I mean, that was my first time out. I have to say it gets difficult. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know, the harder it becomes. But anyway, that was that was a big moment for me. Just to analyse one more moment of, of your, your writing day. Uh, you started work today at about 8.30. Through your years writing, kind of figuring out how you work best, have you found that you are, you are better in the morning? Have you found that you kind of slump in the afternoon? How does the, uh, without getting very woo-woo, how does your energy kind of flow throughout the day? Oh, I see. Well, that's, well I, I think, to be honest, it depends I, if I've had a good night's sleep because I have trouble with sleep sometimes. And But if I have had a good night's sleep, then I'm better in the morning. But I have found recently, and this has been a bit naughty because I was sort of thinking I was cracking this habit, that I you know, I come up to bed about sort of 10 and think, I'll just, just, just have one look at it, just one last time, I'll just stop, one last look at it, and find it's three in the morning and think, oh, no what have I done (laughs) I've done that several times recently not not a good look because then you wake up late and you're tired and oh yeah you have to put sort of reset yourself after that sparkle I mean it just depends where you are and how excited you are about something or you feel it you're nearly there often I think to myself it's just like it, it it's as if it's through a glass and if you work at it and work at it, you can actually make the glass movable and put your hand through and actually touch it, what you're trying to get hold of. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. More with Sally in just a sec. This week's episode of the show is sponsored by The Last Human by Robin Foll. Uh, Robin has helped us out over on our Patreon page. If you would like your book to sponsor the show, that's what you need to do. Get to patreon.com and pledge to help us out for just a month. You can get loads for doing it. You can get our thanks, little bits of merch, 
uh, and the sponsorship too. It doesn't need to be loads, just a little bit every month. It really means the world. It helps us carry on doing this regularly, helps us continue to bring you episodes with as many of the best writers that we can. Uh, If you can help us out, please do. Um, Helps us carry on doing this. And I love chatting to writers and I love the fact that you get to hear them and you get these tips and you get this advice. Whatever you can send our way really helps. Just head over, help us out on patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Sally Gardner talking about the Snow Song, her third adult novel. In this half, we talk about how much she likes to know her characters, which is quite a lot, by the way. Uh, Also, we talk about why she's the patron saint of reluctant readers and how you can tailor an idea for any audience. Now, we pick things up talking about how she got the idea for the book and how pretty much it was strangely given to her. Well, this one is a very strange book in lots of ways because it never happened to me before. But my um, old, um, not the editor I'm working with now, I'm working with a wonderful chap called Finn Cotton, who's been fabulous. Um, But my um, my other editor um, who said to me they wanted a book on snow as my third uh, third book for them. And I was completely baffled by this and thought, I don't I, I've never been asked, you know. Never, no one's ever said what they want from a book. Well, quickly, why did they? Why did they say that this time? I don't know. I think it mainly because perhaps Beauty and the Wolf hadn't done as well as they thought it was going to do. Anyway, it came out that they, they wanted this book on snow, and one of the reasons they said was the only thing that had taken Brexit off the headlines was snow. And um, that one suggestion was that I sort of do a rewrite of. Um, the Snow Queen, which you know, I, I, I have no interest in doing at all because I have a granddaughter and we sing Frozen every night. You know, I don't know why I'm, I'm <laughs> touching that part, but anyway. Um, so I went away and I really uh, sort of panicked about it completely. And at one point, thought I, I don't think I can do this. And I spoke to a friend of mine, saying, "I, I don't know. I, I, I'm it's the first time I feel I'm really being." challenged I don't know what to do and um she very sweetly said to me Sally you could write a song about anything you write a, you know you could write a book about anything come on what are you doing use your imagination and I happened to um as often happens with me I happened to come across a book called The Land Beyond the Forest by um Emily Gerard I think was her name now she was a fascinating woman she went off to uh Transylvania and she was one of the people who Bram Stoker read uh, to get his idea of Dracula and she wrote about the superstitions and old folk tales of uh, Transylvania and I absolutely fell in love with this this magical place I just thought wow this is something else and also the un, the, the, the the feeling about vampires which is we all know as these blood curdling things in in old history in in Transylvania they it, they had a wonderful line when vampires were as common as blades of grass it's just a wonderful image isn't it Th- that was a huge inspiration and then i suddenly began to think about this thing of women um with voices women's voices and the power of not speaking what happens when a woman stops speaking. And I then got this story together. I, I began writing it and I got 
quite excited about it, but I wasn't sure what it was really about until suddenly Boris said, we're in lockdown. And every morning I'd take my coffee cup up my stairs to my mountain, to this funny little village, and I suddenly began to understand what it was I was doing. And it was very exciting. Now, before you started writing, when you when you had the that initial inspiration when you when you're thinking about uh, women being silenced like that i know this is quite a general question so i'm sorry for it but but what 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 do you need to know before you're happy to 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 start typing away sally how how much do you want this to be sorted in your mind before you do start figuring it out on the page i like it to be i i wanted to know where my main character edith lived I wanted to know what the village was like. I sort of made a village up in my head, so I sort of mapped it out. I knew where everybody was in the village. Um, I wanted to know about the dress, uh, their daily routine, just as you're asking me about my routine. I wanted to know their routine. Um, I was fascinated about all the superstitions, about things you couldn't do on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and even Sunday. It became, you know, there were so many restrictions on these women's lives. And this tight, tight community run by a, a, a very big bully, the butcher. And I, I, it began to, it felt very much more present and more relevant than it had done before lockdown to me. What is the the process for answering those questions? How are you figuring out? Are you just sat there with a you know with a pen between your lips, kind of twiddling it about, minding this? How how does that go? You mean how I figure out the characters and I I act a lot. I tell myself my stories many times over. So I'll start a day with maybe asking Edith a few questions. It's quite good to ask your main character a few unpleasant questions. And it's quite good to try and give your villain some very sympathetic questions. So uh, it's interesting what he says when he thinks he's got people on his side. Um, Whereas if you are aggressive with him, he uh, won't talk to you. He'll just, you know, do the sort of become what he is. So I like twiddling it a bit in my head so that's a way I get into it now when you're writing a book like the snow song which is um you know by its very nature it's fantastical it's mystical it's magical how are you showing that with the tone and the voice that you're using as as you write I mean you mentioned just just to draw like cement this you mentioned Frozen with your granddaughter earlier um when you watch Frozen you instantly know the kind of story it's going to be because it's got this dark, brooding, wintry, windy feel. How are you making, how are you doing that with words, if that makes sense? Well, I, this, this story, I wanted it to be a fable. I wanted it to be a grown-up fable. And I wanted it to have a simplicity. I didn't want it to be, I wanted it to appear very simple, but it isn't. But I wanted, that's how I wanted it. In a way, I wanted that, It sounds really pompous to say this. Price is too pompous. But the simplicity of snow, you you, you know, the cleanness of snow, and that underneath what looks like a little picture-perfect place is all these secrets and lies that have kept these people stuck to this 
really inhospitable place. I mean, I felt very sad that I we, we I was planning to go to Transylvania and <laughs> the whole trip got cancelled because of COVID. So that, that was sad because I didn't actually get to see my mountain that I wanted to write about. So I had to do it from my head. I love children. I think they are very imaginative and they ask extraordinary questions. And I think grown-ups on the whole lose a lot of that. And if things don't make logical sense and A doesn't go with Z, then they get puzzled and perplexed, whereas children go, oh, I see, that's okay. Um, but it is a jump. I have to go up the scale. And then you get free. You find, oh, look, I can do anything up here. <laughs> I don't have to. I'm not... I'm not having to worry because with children, I am, I, I, I don't want to give them a moral lesson. I, there's nothing I want to teach them, but I know I'm a guardian. I don't want them to fall over a cliff. <laughs> if you're, you know, in their mental well-being, I want them to stay healthy. So I am aware of that when I'm writing for them. But with adults, I can sort of do whatever I want. Except, funnily enough, um, I have found that adults desperately need happy endings (laughs) 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 except there aren't any (laughs) what what comes first sally is it is it that you decide that you want to write for a kid this time and then you rack your brains thinking of an idea or does the idea determine the audience i think uh you can tailor an idea to fit an audience i do think that I mean, I think there's some issues you couldn't you couldn't touch, but um, on the whole, I think you can tailor it to fit an audience. Yeah, you can, um, and it, it it just depends what at the moment what I'm under contract for at the moment. But um, and I, I'm at the moment thinking of other ideas as I I've got several on the boil at the moment, which is quite exciting. Um, I don't know. I, mean, I, I have a very strange head. I can, I can write for children. I can get down to that age group. I can go quite low on it, and I can go quite up if I need to. But it, it is a gear change. You know, it's a, a, a Morris Minor with a slow gearbox. I've just got to get it up to the, you know, to the top gear. I, I guess then the question is, uh, aside from you being in contract that you need to write for adults or you need to write for kids, why do you decide to write for one or another at a certain point? You know, it's such a good question. It's a question I've been asking myself recently, and I can't answer it. I, I, um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm sorry, Dan. I can't answer that. That's, that's okay. You don't need to. But if if you've been asking yourself that that question, what why 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 have you been asking that of yourself? What what have you been thinking through? Well, I've been wondering whether I'm you know, uh, should just stick with children and not do <laughs> the grown-up books. I, I don't know. I'm. I, it's a question I'm, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, this, this book, Snow Song, is under the name Sally Gardner, which is, so it means a lot of children will see this book and, and maybe young adults, um, a, a term I pretty much loathe, but young people or people will see it and think, oh, I know, I remember her books and I will read it. And there's nothing in it, and there's lots in it, if you see what I mean, that um, would offend. But if you know what the topic's about, it's upsetting. 
if you see what I mean, if you read underneath it. So you can read it on many levels. So this is the first time I've done that. With Ray Delaney ones, I put my name up there as a, a different name, as a sort of barrier to children. Don't go here till you're grown up. <laughs> but with Snow Song, it's not that. It is for grown-ups, but I feel safe having my name on it as Sally Gardner. Now, we spoke earlier on about um, about dyslexia and how yeah. about how yours was, was undiagnosed. Uh, I imagine the answer to this question is a lot. But how how much of an effect did that does that have in the way that you write for for children? Do you think, and and why you write for children as well, and not what we've just spoken about? But uh, are you wanting are you wanting to kind of make these accessible to kids who maybe struggled as as you once did? Definitely, I I, I rather like I got called the patron saint of the reluctant reader which I really rather like the idea of. Um, I am very, very aware that if you can't read many words, you need to have lots of pictures and you need to have a good story. And it doesn't mean just because you can't read a complicated language, you, you shouldn't have access to very good stories in simpler text. You know, not, not patronising, but keeping it low, keeping it readable. So I'm I'm very aware of what it was like to be stuck on Janet and John had a ball for 11 years of my life and never got off Janet and John had a ball. And I think children need a ball, a big one, bouncy, mirror ball, anything but that one. I'm, I'm looking at your website right now as we speak and, and, and it takes me through all the different books that you've you've worked on through every single conceivable type of audience so there are early readers one there are there are more picturey book ones it takes you through to um magical kids books uh older one middle readers and and now adult readers um where do you think this this burning desire very simply to tell stories comes from well i think i think that i you know we are story hungry animals you think about it. We get out of bed in the morning. and What do we ask for straight away? What's the story, Morning Glory? What is the story? Uh, we meet someone. We, we want a story. We want to know, where have you been? What have you done? What happened? And we, I think that's what sets us apart from the animal world in, in, in one way. I mean, there are many things, but that majorly sets us apart is this absolute obsession with story. Um, we live story. We long for it, and I think it's um I think it's absolutely fundamental to us. I think it sort of is up there with the sort of major elements that make us human and that is it for this week's writer's routine. Thank you so much to Sally Gardner for coming on the show. Her new book is the Snow Song. If you want to read it, you can grab a copy, use the link that is in the podcast notes wherever you're listening, and it's at writersroutine.com. That's where you need to go to get the book as well that sponsors the show. Uh, the brilliant tale of Alice who wakes up in a world completely different to the one that she left behind. It's called The Last Human. It's by Robin Fole. Go and grab yourself a copy, less than £3, uh, over at writersroutine.com uh, or click on the link in the podcast notes wherever you're listening. Now, you can sponsor the show as well. Get to patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. Next week, we're chatting to the comedian Mark Watson all about his new novel and what stand-up taught him about storytelling. It's a brilliant chat, that one. 
make sure you're subscribed and I will see you next week on Writer's Routine. Bye. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.